0: We're so glad that you've joined us today. You've chosen to spend your, your time with us today. And it's so awesome to see uh, every generation represented, right? From old to young, I will let you self-classify how you want to do that because as I've gotten older, I'm getting wiser, right? But it's so good to have a, a church that represents every generation. You know, the beginning of a new year is, is always kind of like, it's an interesting time of year, right? Because there's this reflection of like what's happened over the last Year. Like you're looking back and kind of what has God done, what's happened over the last year, but you're also looking forward and like you're, you're anticipating like what's gonna happen over this next year, what's happening as we look forward. And the reality is, none of us know what this next year actually holds for us, whether it's, it's personal uh, or corporate. We don't actually know that, but we do know that we serve a God who's in charge of it all. And we don't face that future alone. And, and the older I get, the more thankful I am that we serve a loving God who guides us who leads us, who protects us. And I'm so excited to spend some time sharing with you today. But why don't we start by praying and ask the Holy Spirit to come and be our teacher today. So Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for your presence already here today. We're thankful that you are already with us. We invite you to come to be our teacher today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know, when I was a kid, when I looked forward to like 2023, you heard that, if you heard a, like a date like that, you're like, well, that's the future. That is really going to be the, the, the future time. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little disappointed just how normal the future feels, because it's here now, right? And, and, you know, there's no flying cars or, or robot maids like the Jetson said that we were going to have, if you remember that. Again, you're dating yourself a little. I acknowledge, though, that it is vastly different from my childhood. You know, I guess we do have the robot vacuums. Does that kind of count? Little Roombas running around. So we kind of, we kind of, we've almost arrived. We're almost there. We just need those flying cars on the regular. Now, a lot of the, the changes that we see, though, that I do recognize that are different from my childhood are, come from technology, right? Technology is a crazy thing, right? It, it has changed so much uh, about the ways that we interact with the world and interact with one another. You know, and over the holidays, I was talking to some of my family and some of my brother-in-laws, and we were talking about this, this thing called AI, right? Artificial intelligence. And that, you've probably heard that all over the news lately, people talking about that, some new things that have developed over that. And, and my, my brother-in-laws have college-age kids and high school-age kids, and, and one of my brothers in laws was explaining that their senior in high school could, if she wanted to, not that she thinks he did, if she wanted to, could put the parameters for a paper that she had to write. You know, she could put the topic, she could put the grade level, she could put her age, all those, her gender, all those things into this AI, and it would generate a paper based on that topic that would actually even have the correct errors that would be right for her grade level and her age, making it very hard for a teacher to know, did a student write this, or was this generated by artificial intelligence? You know, that's a whole new world, right? You know, I remember having Notes as a kid, but nothing quite that sophisticated that's writing the paper for you, you still had to write it. In fact, I think they said they actually had to write, like they forced their making them write their final essay in like pen now, so like going back old school in order to avoid that, right, so that can't happen. You know, students today, you're going to have to face a lot of challenges. You have to wrestle with a lot of choices, and I think it's fair to say that compromise, when we allow our God-given convictions to be lowered or removed, is always lurking around the corner. But see, it's not just young people who are going to be tempted to compromise, because we live in a world that's all about compromise. And I'm not talking about like the good compromise where we come to a mutual agreement, I'm talking about like compromising those values and beliefs we hold dear, right? We see it in the media that we consume, what we watch, what we listen to, what we read, you know? When you're scrolling your social media and you pause a little too long on a video, that's probably not something you should be watching and suddenly your algorithm is changing and feeding you things that are probably unhealthy and not fruitful for you to have. We face temptation when it comes to work, letting things slide not being fully honest, staying silent when we see things that need to change because it might actually give us an advantage. Will we do the right thing or will we do the easy thing? Because there's a pressure to conform, right? To be tolerant, to not take a strong stand for what we believe in, especially if it goes against what the world is telling us is is the right thing. And we can find ourselves tempted to compromise, to lower those standards and principles we say we believe in so that we can fit in, so that we can, we can go along with the flow. See, compromise is often tied to fear. You know, we don't wanna stand out. We don't wanna uh, offend others. We don't wanna do the hard things that it might take to, to stand strong on our convictions. We might wanna do the things that, that gets us ahead, even if it's not the right way. We're tempted to push aside God's best in order to fit in and conform to the world's standards. And honestly, there's things that are coming at us so fast today that often we can find ourselves in a place of compromise before we even realize it. And I wanna tell you something today. The world wants to disciple us just as God wants to disciple us, right? It wants to, the world wants to teach us and train us. Culture wants to shape us and tell us what's normal, what's acceptable, telling us what we should believe, telling us how we should behave. And that fruit is not good for those who are kingdom followers, In fact, in John 17, this is what Jesus says. He says, he talks about the fact that we're called to live in the world but not be of the world. So we need to wrestle with that question because we're God's representatives sent to show the world who he is and how we can shine his light in the darkness. How can we live in the world, though, and not be of the world? How can we hold to our beliefs and convictions that the world wants us to conform to? See, we don't want to be people of compromise. We want to be people of conviction. Being firm in our beliefs, we want to live out our faith. We want our beliefs and our behavior to reflect the king and his kingdom. That means we're gonna live in contrast to the world. We're gonna be different, and we have to understand that. You know, for, for many years, Uh, you know, even growing up, a lot of the conversation around church was to be relevant to the culture. But that conversation is changing as culture moves further and further away from the king and the kingdom. Our job is not to be relevant to the culture, but to show the culture a standard that's different. Because that standard brings hope. That standard carries Jesus forward. And our conviction means that there is a truth that we can actually know. Now, this isn't the kind of truth that we hear about. Again, the world is trying to disciple us about what truth means. Truth is not what we're talking about What you hear about it in the world that says, well, my truth is my, is, is my truth, and your truth is your truth. Church, truth is not based on our feelings. See, truth is based on a person, but it's not us. It's Jesus. See, Jesus is actually the one who tells us what truth is, who shows us what truth. The Bible calls him truth. And we want to allow our beliefs then in Jesus, in truth, to shape our behavior submitted to him because he's in charge. Worshiping him because we want our affection and our attention to go to him because where our affection and attention goes, that's what we represent and that's what we reflect. Partnering with him to give away what we've been given. See, we want to be a people who are willing to be bold. Now, the world will tell you that your conviction is condemnation. How could you do that? That's not how I see it. See, conviction is an invitation. It's an invitation to put Jesus on display because we know that Jesus is the one who brings hope. He actually can solve the world's problems. He can solve the problems that you and the people around you are facing today. He actually brings that. He's the one who can set you free. He's the one who's made you to be everything that he's designed you to be. See, so we have a conviction that the good news of Jesus is actually good news for everyone. And without conviction, we're going to get tossed around by every trial that we face because conviction becomes this anchor that allows Jesus to keep us rooted in him even when we face difficulty and trials. And today we're going to look at a story in the Bible that is of some men who were very tempted to cave into the pressure of the day. But instead, they chose to stick with their conviction. We're gonna look in the Old Testament today in the book of Daniel. And this is a fascinating book. And and in this uh, book, we're introduced to a man named Daniel. Daniel is a young Jewish man. He's living in exile in Babylon because Israel's been defeated and and the the people have been exiled there. And uh, he's somebody who goes against the grain of what they tried to push him into. He sticks to the ways of the Lord. And in that story, we're also, in these first two chapters of Daniel, we actually meet some of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, as Daniel experiences this favor, he's actually promoted as he stays strong in his convictions, and we learn that his friends, they're also committed to the ways of the Lord, just as Daniel was, and they also are promoted. But then in chapter three, they face incredible pressure to compromise. And we're gonna hear more of their story. And we're actually gonna do this today, but we're gonna watch a little video today. I thought it'd be great to watch a video because we have some of the kids in the room. So we're gonna watch a video that tells a story. We're gonna watch part of the video and then we're gonna come back and talk about some things and finish the video in a little bit. So you can go ahead and play that video and turn your attention to the screens.
1: It's time for a Bible story. A long time ago in the land of Israel, there lived three young guys named Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Whoa, whoa, hold on, wait a minute. What are those names? Did you say their names were Sad Rat, Mean Hat and a Bendy Goat? Uh, no, not even close. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were some pretty solid dudes. They loved God with all their heart, and things were going pretty well for them. Until one day, all of that changed. Wait, let me guess what happened. They were taken from their homeland by an invading army. Well, actually, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Do do you know the story already? Whoa, really? Crazy, that was just a random guess. What are the odds of that, huh? Well, uh, you're right. Israel was invaded by the wicked King Nebuchadnezzar. Whoa, that stinks. And double whoa, because the names in this story are crazy. I know, right? King Nebuchadnezzar invaded their country and took a bunch of people captive and then brought them back to his home country called Babylon. Hold up, hold up, okay. I know the names in this story are a little wonky, but you gotta be kidding me. He was from a place called Babyland? That sounds awesome. An entire country full of adorable babies? Actually, that doesn't sound awesome. I bet it smelled like a giant diaper. Yeah. No, not Babyland. It was called Babylon, and I'm sure it smelled just fine. Gotcha. So, what happened when they got to Babylon? Well, they were trying to adjust to where they live now. I mean, one day they're chilling at home in Israel, and the next day they're in a totally different country. They didn't know anybody there, they don't speak the language, and on top of all that, they were forced to work as slaves. Yikes, that is pretty rough, man. I bet they were like so, so, super scared. I mean, they're in a completely different country, they don't know anybody, they're completely on their own, man, I would be totally freaked out. Actually, they didn't freak out. They knew God was with them, so they kept on like they had before. Every day, they would pray and worship God. Hey, that's great to hear. Sounds like things could turn around, huh? Well, things did change, but not really in the way that you might expect. One day, King Nebuchadnezzar decided to have a huge statue of himself built. He wanted to be 90 feet tall and made out of gold. Seriously, a 90-foot golden statue of himself? Man, what a waste of a statue. I'd rather have a 90-foot gold statue of something awesome, like a really fat hamster. Oh, or like a unicorn playing guitar. I agree, those would be pretty sweet. But no, he wanted it to be of himself. And once the statue was built, he ordered people from all around to come and see it. He had musicians set up all around the statue and gave the order that when they started to play, everyone would bow down and worship him. Okay, that's a little weird. Uh, So what does this have to do with our three amigos exactly? Well, that's where things get interesting. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were some of the people that were ordered to come and see the statue. But as you can imagine, they weren't very interested in worshiping King Nebuchadnezzar. They only worshiped God. So what happened? Just like the king ordered, the band kicked in and everybody bowed down to the statue except for three people. You wanna guess who? Uh Oh, Larry, Curly, and Moe. Swing and a miss. It was actually Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as you can imagine, the king was not very happy with them disobeying his orders, but he liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so he gave them a second chance to change their minds and worship him. The band kicked in again, everybody else bowed down, but... Lemme guess, they didn't bow. No sir, Bob. Yeesh, I bet he really did not like that. No, he did not. King Nebuchadnezzar was furious that they had refused to worship him, but they held firm and told the king that they would only worship the one true God. Oh boy, I bet they got punished pretty bad, huh? what they get, like a million spankings? No, much worse than that. The king's guards grabbed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and took them to a huge fiery furnace, a giant oven with flames blazing out all over it. Good grief, that thing is no joke. It's gotta be like a million degrees or like a bazillion Celsius, or like five Kelvin. Well, look at you, Mr. Science. And yes, it was very hot. The king decided to give them one more chance to bow down to him. And if they didn't, he was going to throw them into the fiery furnace. Whoa, he was seriously gonna like kill them? Straight up. So what'd they do? I mean, they just give in and bow down? I mean, listen, that would be totally understandable. I mean, look at that oven thing, man. They'd get roasted like marshmallows in there. That would be terrifying.
0: All right, we're, that's, it's such a great story. We're gonna pause there for just a minute before we go, with that cliffhanger, what are they gonna do, right? It's, it's such a great story because I wanna unpack what we're learning so far and what's a, some lessons that we can learn from these young teens. And for a moment, we actually have to put our, ourself in their shoes, Rat, put them in their, the, 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 the shoes of, what is it, Shady, Rat, Sad Hat, me, me, Mean Hat, something like that. There are some crazy names in here. See, here they are, they're teenagers. They've been pulled from their home. They're living in exile. They have every excuse to just lay low and go with the flow. And we know, though, already in the fuller context of what we learned about them in the first two chapters that they've already went through some tests. They've stayed true to their convictions. They've been already said, this is who we're going to be, and they've been promoted because of that. But they stuck to those convictions. They want to live this God-centered life. And despite living in a culture of conformity, they stuck to those convictions. But now a test comes their way, and it's a big test, right? And, and this is the first lesson. We have three lessons I want to pull out today, and the first lesson is this. Pressure and problems will come our way. See, there's, there's a rumor and misconception out there that when we say yes to Jesus, when we follow him and we, be, and we agree to follow his ways, that our problems are just going to go away when we do that, right? That is fake news, everybody, let me tell you. This is, there is going to be pressure to compromise and conform to the world's ways, right? To worship things that we're not called to worship, to watch things that aren't healthy for us to participate in gossip or slander, to not do the things that we know to be right. There will be pressure and temptation to compromise. And the story tells us this is not a new thing. This isn't something that's just popped up in our culture today, Right? We shouldn't be surprised. In fact, Jesus actually warns us about this in John 16:33. He tells us this again. This is Jesus speaking in John 16:33. I have told you all this so you may have peace in me. Again, established in Him. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. This is a beautiful promise. Jesus is the one who's already overcome the world. It's Jesus in us, not us trying to fight it and hope we get there so that Jesus can approve of us. He's already done the work for us. See, we're going to face trials and troubles like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and start building our lives with Jesus now, just like they did. We build now so when we face trouble, we're already strong in him. Don't wait for the trials to get to you. They were already in a tough spot when King Nebuchadnezzar puts them in this, in this place to say, you got to bow and worship, right? They've already been exiled. They've already living in a strange land. They have, they have all these excuses that say, we should just let this slide, right? They've been taken from their homes, their families. So often, though, we get ourselves in a place where compromising, where we give ourselves permission because, you know what, we've done enough already. It's been really, really hard. We deserve to just compromise just here, just once, right? But See, these young men show us that they didn't grow bitter. They didn't grow weary of doing good. They rooted themselves in truth himself, in God. And as a result, they were men of faith and conviction, despite the world around them pressuring them to conform. So we need to press into our relationship with the Father, knowing that the problems and pressure are going to come. And when we pause this video, the king had given them one more chance to compromise, did they just give in and bow down? I think we already know they didn't. That'd be totally understandable though, right? There's every reason in the book to say, you know what, in this case, this is my life being threatened here. Like, it's just one little thing. I don't really gonna mean it. But let's read here what their response was. And we're gonna pick up in Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. We're just gonna read here. This is their response when King Nebuchadnezzar gave them a second chance. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. They knew who their real defender was. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us and he will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship that gold statue that you have set up. Let's watch the rest of the video and see how this ends.
1: That's true. It was a pretty scary situation, but they trusted in God and they weren't afraid. They knew that God was more powerful than King Nebuchadnezzar, and if God was on their side, they didn't have to be afraid. So when the king said one last time to bow down, they refused. Uh-oh. So did he throw him in the furnace? Nope. Instead, the king ordered the furnace to be made seven times hotter than it already was and then throw them in. What, how do you even do that? That's gotta be like as hot as the sun or like an atomic bomb or my new mixtape. Uh, no. But it got so hot that when the guards opened the door, the heat was so strong that they were instantly killed. Oh, look, the guards are dead. Now is your chance. Run for it, guys. Well, there were other guards, kind of an expendable resource back then.
0: Oh, that's kind of sad.
1: So another set of guards grabbed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, dragged them over to the furnace, and threw them inside. King Nebuchadnezzar and everybody else watched as they closed the door and waited. But what happened next? Nobody ever expected. There in the furnace, in those blazing hot flames, stood four men. Wait, what, they didn't die? Like an instant terrible death of burning and dying? Nope, the guards and King Nebuchadnezzar could not believe their eyes. There were four figures standing in the flames totally fine. Hold up, wait a second. There were four people? I thought you said they threw in three people. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's only three. True, but there was a fourth person in the furnace with them. It was Jesus. What? Yep, Jesus was with them in the fiery furnace and protected them from the flames. King Nebuchadnezzar told them to come out and they walked out completely unharmed. Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. That is incredible. So that's why they weren't afraid of the king, huh? They trusted in God so much and knew that he would be with them when the times got tough. Exactly. That day, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed King Nebuchadnezzar and everyone in Babylon that God was with them, and no matter what came their way, they didn't have to fear. That is totally stinking awesome. You bet.
0: The end. So good. It's such a great story. And there's so many truths that we can embrace in this story. And I wanna pull out two more lessons for us to ponder. And lesson two, this is this. In the midst of those pressure and problems we know we're gonna face, we have a promise and protection. See, God is present in the midst of our troubles. Those three young men, they trusted that no matter what happened to them, God would not abandon them. They didn't know the outcome, but they trusted God anyway. See, they were willing to give their life to stay faithful to the conviction of God's truth in their lives. So often I think that compromise is tied to this place of fear, of looking foolish, of pain, of discomfort. But we want to be people like these young men who develop such a deep trust in God's faithfulness, his presence in the midst of our problems, that we walk in radical obedience to his ways. You know, if we read stories like like this, it's really good to note that God may not spare us from the fire, but he will walk through the fire with us. Again, we know we're gonna face problems and pressure, but there were four men in that fire that day, not three. See, Jesus joined them in the midst of that pressure. He was with them, and I love this picture that Jesus joins us in the fire because the promise is that we'll never be alone. We don't have to walk through the pressure of this world alone. And I love the promise that we find in Isaiah that, that corroborates that. This is Isaiah 43, two, This is what it says. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. This is who our God is. He is ever-present. He's providing protection and provision. They didn't even smell like the fire. You ever tried to sit by a campfire for more than five minutes and not have to wash your clothes because they smell like fire, right? Can you imagine being thrown into a fiery furnace, one that's seven times hotter than normal, and you come out, you don't even smell like fire, much less the fact that you're still alive, right? This demonstrates the completeness of God's deliverance for them. Now, if you read the story, it says that they were bound up and thrown into the fire, And you know the only thing that burned up that day in the fire? The ropes that had bound them. They stepped out free. Because as we trust in the Lord, the things that that bind us, the ways that the world will try to bind us and bound us up, they'll fall away. God didn't cause the fire, but he did redeem what was meant to destroy them, and he used it to bring them freedom instead. The world is trying to disciple us, to shape us, to mold us, to bind us with the pressure and the problems that it throws our way. We're gonna get thrown into that metaphorical furnace, but we have to remember, we have the promise of Jesus going through the fire with us, offering us his protection. We'll go through those fiery trials, but if we stay connected to Jesus, he will remove the bondage, and we get to live in the freedom that he offers. That brings us to our third lesson. There is promotion after the fire. And the final lesson we glean from this is that after we go through that fire, there's opportunity for promotion. And I wanna listen here to what happens when these men trust in God and stick to their convictions. And again, we're gonna read from Daniel 3. This is verses 28 and 29. This is after they've come out of the fire. It says this. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make this degree, if any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. Their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. See, they weren't living in the land of their promise. They were living in God's promise to them. And even in the midst of living in that place, God redeems what was meant to destroy them. King Nebuchadnezzar, who raises a statue to say, worship me, instead sees what God can do through the conviction of these three men. And instead he begins to praise God. Now he's a little extreme in how he goes about it. You know, Maybe he still hasn't fully understood what it means to do that, but he does it. And he makes a decree that no one can speak against God right, moments before, he's ready to throw them in because they're not worshiping him, and now he's saying, don't everybody ever speak against this God, and then he promotes them. See, we have to understand that opposition allows opportunities for us because that's who our God is, a redeeming God. The fire didn't burn them, it blessed them. The fire didn't restrict them. Instead, the fire that was meant to destroy them released them, so when we trace true to our convictions, amazing things can happen through God. And our hope for joy comes when Jesus is revealed to the world. And living strong in our conviction of faith is how we reveal Jesus to the world. We don't seek glory and praise from the world for ourselves. We seek God's glory and honor because it is Jesus who lives in us and lives in those convictions. Church, fear is going to tell you to abandon your faith. Faith will tell you to abandon your fear. That's who we get to serve today, is that Jesus who tells us he's gonna be with us there. We can abandon our fear because Jesus is the one who's gonna go with us. Our faith is far more precious than any promise that the world can give us. These three young men knew that even at the cost of their lives, it was worth dying. It was worth everything that they had, right? And it wasn't nothing that they were giving up. Remember, they'd already, before this, been promoted and given great authority in the land because of the character and conviction they'd already shown. This was a big sacrifice. It wasn't just, hey, we're, we're just prisoners here. Ultimately, what the enemies meant to destroy them became what God redeemed to promote them. We can trust God wants to bring good things to us as his children. Sometimes we'll see those things now, but we will always see those things in eternity. So let's be a people who walk with Jesus in the midst of fire so that we can see him glorified through the testimony of our conviction. Now, my encouragement as we close here to each one of you is this. Let's live 2023 with conviction. Let's allow our belief in Jesus to shape our behaviors and guide our lives. Let's invite Jesus to continue transforming areas that we need to change. And we all have those, me included. Let's share our faith with others. Let's get the secret out. See, when Jesus meets us, when he, ch- he changes us, when we encounter him, his love transforms us. He's the one who can walk us through every problem and every fire. We live with conviction, not just to announce, though, what we're against, but to reveal the culture of God's kingdom. See, when Jesus was here on the earth, he didn't just tell everybody what he was against. He told stories, and he demonstrated what it looked like to be a part of the kingdom of God. Pointing people to hope and to life. And this year, may we be people who encounter his love and allow him to transform our lives so that we can give away all that we've been given. Would you stand as we pray and get ready for worship? Father, thank you, God, that you will walk us through everything that we face. You're even willing to work in our lives to redeem those things where we've messed up. Lord, you wanna show us what it means to be strong now so that we can see you in the fire of the future. So Lord, let us be a people who are only on fire for you, whose convictions overcome the world's temptation to compromise. Thank you. We invite you to come as we worship today. In Jesus' name, amen.